0: Hey everyone, Angela Bowen here, the host of Looking Back on My Wonder Years, a Wonder Years podcast. Well, today I am concluding my review on the 1983 Stephen King horror classic, I call it a classic in my own eyes, Cujo from 1983. Here is part two of the review. We're going to pick up just after Brett and Charity leave to go on the trip to Connecticut. To see Charity's sister, although more than likely it seems like they're, she's planning on leaving her husband and taking Brett. That's why she's taking the photo albums and everything. So now we're kicking things off. Cujo full rabid in the pre-dawn light. He is on his way to Joe Camber's friend Gary's house. To, he's basically going to make his first kill. This is the first victim of... Of Cujo. In this movie. I hope you enjoy the review. And happy Halloween everybody. <laughs> well, that's another thing with the cinematography. I don't really talk about that. But a lot of like you're seeing the sun kind of come up. Cresting over like the hill. And it just. It really it's pretty. But we see like. The space between where Joe Camber's place is and Gary's place, so I don't think it's too far. But it's like we see, like, there's an orchard or something of young trees that are growing and this muddy road that Cujo is just walking down. So Cujo is going to make his first kill. Spoiler alert. We see Gary bringing out garbage because he lives in a fucking landfill outside this house that I'm surprised does not just collapse on him. It's just, it's gross! It's like he lives in a fucking, it's not even a junkyard, it's just a damn landfill with, like, beer cans and shit. And there's a scene in the book that, I guess, Cujo Frequent hangs out with Gary. Gary's always got, like, Dog biscuits in his shirt pocket for Cujo. And, at that you know, he even notices, like, Cujo's turning up dog biscuits like he's not into them. And that kind of surprises Gary. So they got kind of a coolie. And Gary, I guess, was in Vietnam. Like, he fought in Vietnam. And he's a, so he's a veteran, probably living off some type of a pension or veteran VA retirement, I don't know. I don't know what that's called, but that's what he's doing with his life. Even Gary is kind of balding the same way where it's like you start losing it on the top, but you got like a crown of hair that goes, kind of spreads from ear to ear around the back of your head. And Gary, who's dumping his trash onto more trash, this heaping hill of trash, hears a growl and he he stops suddenly kind of listening for it. And he's like, I don't know what that was, but I don't hear it anymore. And here comes Cujo into view. And Joe kind of, Joe. <laughs> Gary looks at him like Cujo. He's like looking at Cujo like, what's going on with this dog? Why is he all covered in mud and blood and whatever? Like, he just not looked like the dog that was hanging out on his floor while he was hanging out with Joe. And he says, Cujo. What are you growling at? And another thing of trivia is, because of St. Bernard's got a long, you know, curly tail that curls upward. And, you know, these dogs are just so friendly. They actually had to, if you watch the movie in this scene, they had to tie the dog's tail kind of downward to keep the tail. But you still see the tip of the the tail downward wagging. Like, he's just so excited. (laughs) The dog probably is, because they're friendly dogs. <laughs> Good, Joe. What are you growling at? Yeah, there's a wag of the tail, and you can see where. Thank God I don't give a shit hear me? I don't give a shit. That's his motto, I don't give a shit. dog. He's not going to wait for your little bullets in that gun, either. (laughs) That dog just rips right through that screen. Thank you! A St. Bernard's a big dog! It's standing! When this dog is standing, like, leaping at Gary's throat, he is... As tall as fucking, as Gary is. He's not Great Dane tall, but he is a big fucking dog. And if he weighs 200 fucking pounds, which I don't know if that's how much Gary weighs, because he's a pretty (coughs) decently average tall dude. So the weight kind of, I would imagine, just kind of whatever. But yeah, I mean, Cujo is just basically hanging off this guy's throat. He's trying to get the dog off, and... Yeah, Cujo just tears the throat out and he's dead. I mean you see and then you see afterwards just the back half of Cujo, just that little tip of the tail just kinda wagging side to side. And you see I mean you see Gary's hands like, you know, shaking and his feet just, you know, shaking as this dog is just just ripping him asunder. So, of course, Joe doesn't have his buddy there. He's calling for Cujo. I remember when I recorded this on a cassette tape, and I told you I had a cat named Cujo. So I would take my sister's boombox with the tape inside, and I would, like, play it as he's calling out for Cujo, thinking that would call my cat. (laughs) Like, I'll just play this. Cujo will come. Got a hell of a whistle. And it echoes, like, across this flat land. He's got a big, giant-ass bag of Purina dog food, and he's pouring it all into a trough. A trough, everybody! Where usually, it's probably, like, where you would put water. You fill water in there. I mean, he's putting dog food in there, but okay. So, Joe goes over to Gary's, and, you no, know, it's most likely, well, Cujo comes over here sometimes. I'll see if Gary's seen Cujo. And he pulls up and he notices right away that the screen in the door has been ripped, almost like it's been sliced down the side. And he's looking at it like, this is weird. So he goes in calling for Gary, walks a little further into the hallway and sees that Gary is on the floor dead. Honestly, this is the most emotion, this is an emotion we have not seen from Joe, this upset, I mean, he is like in tears crying for his friend. doesn't want suspect that a dog attacked his friend, let alone Cujo. He probably thinks that someone murdered his friend. I really like this sound effect, though. It really gets your heart racing and amps you up like something's gonna happen. So yeah, he's actually going to, I'm guessing this is the kitchen living room area. And there just happens to be a phone book on the table there, and he starts. I mean, why do you need a phone book for 911 unless that didn't exist in '83? Who is he? Who is he trying to call? And of course, look who's still in the house. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Covered in Gary's blood. Yeah! He goes into it. It looks like a living room slash kitchen ish area because there's a big round table there. And there just happens to be a phone book open on the table, and Joe immediately starts flipping the pages. I'm thinking, now, did 911 not exist in. Or is 911 different in each state back in 1983? Because. I and, mean, like, he's flipping the pages trying to call somebody. And, of course, it's one of those phones. And I I've dealt with a phone like that, too, where it's like you stick your finger in the, the hole and you pull down on it. One of those old, like, is it a rotary phone? I'm trying to think what it is. But anyway, yeah, it's just, aye, aye, aye. And, of course, who's still in the house? Cujo covered, his face is covered in Gary's blood. Still got the yellow goopy egg yolk, goopy shit on his face, and that's when Joe says, "Whoja? Oh my God, you're rabid!" And he tries to use the table as you know, not a battering ram, but almost for protection. And then he grabs a wooden chair and and then he drops it, falls back on the couch and the dog and Kucha just lunges for him. You don't see anything. You just, we cut to a shot of Gary's house and just the noise after. And clearly he killed Joe. So yeah, now we get to hear that dang song as Donna and Ted make their way to the camber place. For her to take her Pinto in. I I just thought of this. I was just thinking about this, okay? Now, Joe worked on, you know, Vic's Jaguar, right? I kind of wonder how Joe would be with any, you know, woman that brings a car to him. But especially being it is a woman, the wife of a previous client. Would he treat her with respect, or would he treat her like she doesn't have a notion in her head when it comes to cars? Like he's standing there like, uh-huh, uh-huh, and this just eye-rolling. Like, yeah, whatever. Let me take a look at it. I just, I kind of wonder, honestly, I mean, I know the guy's got to keep business and stuff, but it just seems like he would, being that she is a woman and everything, treat her like she does not know shit about cars, like, don't even tell me, I I, I will find out for myself what's going on. <laughs> and I always ask him, like, it's like, it, she must have made an appointment. Because you don't just show up unannounced, well, I'll just show up and hopefully he can work on my car. That's not how that works. But I I bet anything she probably did make an appointment and shows up and no one's fucking there. I don't think when she made the appointment that Joe's like, well, my wife and kid are going out of town. So I'll see what I can do if I'm around. (laughs) I'm going to be enjoying my freedom. I guess I can fit your car into my busy personal schedule. Maple Sugar Road. Oh, and there goes the alternator button lighting up on the dash. Shit. Come on, baby. Just one more to go. <sighs> really? I'm still making payments on this fucking car, you piece of shit. long ass driveway. Oh my god. Can you imagine having to walk your ass down there to get to the bus stop? Holy shit, because, you know, they ain't going to go all the way up to your driveway. Fuck no. Like, you meet me at the end of Maple Sugar Road. So we get this viewpoint from inside the barn, which, of course, is where Cujo is hanging out. And we see Donna's pinto pull into it. This isn't even a driveway. It's just, like... A farmyard which is funny calling it a farm because there's like no farm animals the only example of a farm animal was that dead chicken that charity was plucking the feathers off. <laughs> I don't see cows I don't see horses I don't see pigs I see none of that shit then again it's not that type of farm holy shit is this car got a lot of exhaust? does it have exhaust problems too It just clouds upon like, big-ass fog cloud of fucking exhaust. And then the car just fucking dies right in the middle of the yard. Well, okay, I guess we're here. (laughs) Guess we're stuck. I'm gonna play this clip, this clip that everyone knows, of course, the jump scare to end all jump scares coming up. But, of course, she's like, all right, I think we've arrived. And Tad looks around and is like, yeah, but is anybody home? And she's like, well, I don't know. Let me see. And she gets out and she stands, you know, just outside the car door. Is like, hello? Hello? And she's like, oh, damn it, that is great. That's just great. What the fuck? I showed, up on the, I showed up early, damn it. I got my kid with me. I don't got time to mess around with these people not showing up. I mean, I did my part. I made it here before my appointment so that should count for something and the whole time Tad is complaining I can't get my seatbelt off I can't can't get my damn seatbelt off and he's like alright I'm surprised you didn't say do not say that word and then something like you you do not need to even take your seatbelt off we're not staying here there's nobody here there's no point but then again, if I were a kid and I couldn't get my seatbelt off, I can imagine, or even as an adult, I would probably get be getting really stressed out. Like, that is, like, claustrophobic feeling. Like, I can't get out. I'm stuck. Like, get out of this damn... I mean, everything's fucking breaking in that damn car. The alternator, the fucking seatbelt. And even as she's trying to, like, yank the thing out of the damn, you know, seatbelt holder thingy... Tad's like, I wish Daddy would get a new car and so, Yeah, that sounds good to me too. And she's finally Oh I can't get it to get out of I can't get it out of the hole or I can't get it. It won't go. And that's when Cujo jumps because the window is all the way down. Just about. There's like maybe three inches of window there on the passenger side. And it's that's a large window, I mean Bigger, probably, than my 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 Honda Fit window, because this is just a two-door car, so it's, like, double the size of window. I mean, hell, Kujo could have just leapt in there and, like, yanked Tad out of it his seat. He probably could have helped him get that seatbelt undone. Damn well, died. I don't think we've arrived,
1: <laughs> I think.
0: Yeah, but is anybody home? Gosh, it's so foggy. I don't if... Or is that the exhaust? Yeah, that would piss me off too. It's like, fuck. Let her die. Alright. She doesn't even correct him. Like, don't say that. Well, he's four, of uh, course he's not the. Damn it. Piece of shit, car. He <laughs> should have. Damn, this car is so You pulled a lot for Maybe that's a problem, maybe he shouldn't be pulling as she's trying to... him rolling up could you break his neck hopefully shut your own fucking door thank you Is that supposed to help it? Yeah, sorry, I had to turn the volume down on that, because I knew that was going to get really, really loud. Um, Gosh, can you imagine being in a situation like that? I mean, you're fucking basically stranded. Her car just fucking died. And she probably figured, like, all right, it's fine. It's dead. The guy will work on it. And then she gets out of the car. Hello? Hello? Just calling across the courtyard or the yard. No, he's not coming out of the barn so he probably isn't there and it's just like the fucking fuck and then plus she's you know has Tad with her and it's like well that's doubly a problem now cause it's like great and not to mention it's 1983 she didn't have a fucking cell phone even if she did w- Whoops. <laughs> would there be any fucking reception out there Because it's out in the fucking boondocks. I mean, you saw how long that damn road was? Holy shit. So, another thing to go wrong, other than the fucking alternator and whatever else, the damn seatbelt won't work. Tad is, like, stuck. Well, I'm happy that at least the fucking window works. Because she's trying to, like, and she's saying, can you pull on that part while I you know, pull on the other part, and they're doing that, and then, you know, being distracted. And mind you, her driver's side door is open. Cujo could have just as easily come around there and jumped into the car with them. But no, he chose to try to go through the passenger side window because, of course, we need that jump scare. So he jumps up. They're taken by surprise, And while Donna is trying to hold Tad, because Tad, she's, like, covering her arm over Tad. He's wearing shorts and everything like that. So she's trying to protect him, hold him down, you know, covering his legs and everything, while she's using the other hand to crank. Holy shit. Oh, man. Yeah, the old hand crank. I know those cars. I had a car like that. That was my first car, was the damn crank window. Can you imagine if this fucking car had the what we all ha- oh, most likely have now is the um the auto window roller upper? I don't know what you know. Yeah, her car would have to be on for that shit to work. That would be fucked beyond all fucked if it were that type of wi- auto you know window type of thing where you just press a damn button. Like, yeah, that's great for convenience, but if your car's dead, that shit ain't gonna work. So, no, she's able to... And Cujo's got his head in the window, and she's, like, cranking up the window. I'm just thinking, you know, his head's stuck in the window. Like If she kept rolling it up, would the window stop, or would she break his fucking neck? Which probably would be beneficial for both sides. He wouldn't be suffering anymore. He wouldn't kill them. They would, He would just be dead, and they would not be in danger anymore. They'd be st- still be stranded, but, hell, the, at least, they, I mean, more than likely, I mean, they could easily just walk to town. It's seven fucking miles. I'm sure they'd come across someplace. So, yeah, I mean, and she, like, loosens the window so he can get his head out, and then, of course, he comes around to the other side, and she quickly realizes that her damn door is Hang a wide open. She shuts it, and then he, Cujo, is at the window clawing at it. And then he's jumping onto the hood of the car, destroys the windshield wipers, of course. I mean, those can easily be fucking replaced. But just, and then Tad is like saying that that is probably the monster that was in his closet. Like, how did the monster get out of my closet? And she's like, no, 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 honey, it's not a monster, it's just a doggy. And she's trying to console him because he's he is screaming, he is frightened, he is just scared. which understandable he's for? And the whole time he's been dealing with this monster in the closet, which probably did look similar to what Cujo was, you know, with the, he's like he's got yellow eyes and its teeth are this long and they're curled and its mouth is like this and it's like, <sighs> you know that maybe so yeah. You probably would think that. And then, she's honking the horn, and, cause Cujo is at the windshield, destroying the windshield wiper, she's honking the horn, the horn has full volume velocity there, and then Cujo jumps off the hood of the car, and she's see, see, the doggy's gone, see, and Ted the whole time also was saying, I want to go home, I want to go home, and she's like, honey, we're going to go home, it's going to be okay, we're going home right now, and she's... Turning, while holding Ted, she's turning the ignition, you know, to try to get the car to turn over, and she's pumping the gas! When has it ever been a good thing? I've always heard if you're pumping the gas while you're trying to start, isn't that? It's like you're trying to feed gas into you know, to get the car going, isn't that also, I've heard not to do that, because you could flood your fucking car, not literally, but, like, what is it, like, flood the engine, or something like that, like, you're giving it too much, but it doesn't do shit, because we saw the alternator light pop on the dashboard, it's like, fucking fuck, and then he's like, I'm gonna go home, and she's like, honey, we're gonna go home, and she's just, She, like, shakes him a little because he he just will not calm down. She's like, listen to me. We have to let the engine die down, okay? We can't go home right now. Just calm down. We're going to go home in a few minutes. We just got to let the engine die down. That's all. And then, of course, we cut to Cujo just sitting there, just growling, sitting off to the side by where probably the barn is. So, we cut back to the inside of the car, Tad is drawing on some paper, clearly he's found something to occupy himself, and, you know, Donna's just sitting, because he's in the, you know, the hatchback part, because it's just a two-seater car, and Donna's just sitting up front, kind of like, running her thumb down the length of this keychain, and just like, what am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? I just, I don't know. If the car doesn't run and, we, and there's a dog outside, we're stuck. We can't go anywhere. It's an overcast day. I don't, I mean, this, like I said, this is supposed to be set during like July. That's what the book said. A year prior to that July, they had taken Vic's Jaguar to get taken care of. And it said the pr- next July basically is when the shit goes down with Cujo. So apparently it works. She's like, come on, baby, one more time. Just get me back. Get me home. Please. And she, you know, turns on the ignition and it starts right up. And Tana's like, yay, we're going to go home. And the stupid fucking thing, this is what done it. I'm like, why? Why? Why would you do this? She stops, pauses, looks over her shoulder at the dog as the dog comes out running and barking at her. She says, fuck you, dog. And the fact that she pauses, then the car stutters and just dies. And that's that. The car is, it's done. It's like you had your one last Hail Mary shot to maybe get out of the yard most of the way, or maybe even down the road. I mean, whether or not that car was going to take them home, we don't know but uh yeah it ain't doing it now you wasted your hail mary what's that football it's like a hail mary pass like that football term it's basically your one only one in a million shot that this could even work that was her shot and she fucking wasted it to tell the dog to go fuck itself yeah It's amazing how his hair and her hair look so similar. They look like they could be mother and son. <laughs> Mom, aren't we going? Mom And you do see food back there too, yeah, Okay. I'll try it. <laughs> fingers. Okay, there we go. That's started up. Yeah, don't attempt to put that seatbelt back on. Alright, go, 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 go. I would've just pressed on that accelerator and just zoomed the fuck out of there. Don't look at the dog! Just go! She's like, "Fuck you, dog. Yep. The alternator again! Damn it! Stop trying to flood it! <laughs> oh, damn it. Turn over. We gotta wait for the engine oh, to die down oh, again. You. Come on. God, why, you get why the hell did you leave me in this piece of shit car? Oh, you really should have just taken it in. Are you okay? Yeah. I thought you were mad at me. No, baby, never do. Can you get us in here? As long as we keep the door shut. I don't want to. No. Way. Okay. You going? we both you and me both buddy yeah. real quick here going back to when Joe is saying goodbye to Brett and he's giving Brett advice saying... The second piece of advice, keep your hand on your pocketbook. And Brett says, I don't have any, and Joe gives Brett a $5 bill. Yeah, you got this. Don't spend it all in one place. The fool and his money soon parted. All right, thank you. So long, Camber said. He didn't ask for another kiss goodbye. Goodbye, Daddy. Brett stood on the sidewalk and watched his father climb into the car and drive away. He never saw his father again. He never saw his father alive again. That was it. Well, that's a way to go out, right? Gave him five bucks. Gave him a kiss. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Basically, the first piece of advice was Joe said, your Uncle Jim, your aunt's husband, is a piece of shit. He just sits on his ass and, you know, that's what he does. Pushes papers in an office. Don't be like him. (laughs) <laughs> so that was the first piece of advice like don't be bi- like your uncle <laughs> so yeah you can definitely see it's getting late because the sun has already set and it's got like a the sky is like a nice rich buttery yellow and Cujo just I think that's is that where that basketball hoop is he's in the middle of the yard Cujo just sits there and watches the car And in the book, it does talk about Donna kind of packing a snack for her and Tad before they go to Cambers, because, you know, she had been trying to get a hold of him, but he doesn't have a phone in the shop, so I guess they're just going to wing it and hope that he's there. And, yeah, she's packing, like, Keebler's, like, fig bars and some Slim Jims, which... Apparently that's one of Ted's favorite things, and also filling up Ted's little thermos and then Vic's giant coffee thermos with milk, which I honestly think, I mean they didn't, they're just packing just like it's probably gonna be a few hours, so we'll I have something to snack on while we wait while the car's being worked on. They're not packing like, well, what if we get stranded out there and we're, you know, they she's not thinking like that. Otherwise, I'm pretty sure she would have probably put water in one of those thermoses. Like, we need to have water. Then again, she would probably think, well, the house has water, so we don't need to pack water. But that milk is going to spoil. to mention it wouldn't last very long. So we go back to the Trenton house. It's dark because no one's home. The porch lights are on, and we do cut to Vic. Who is it? A payphone back when they had them, and trying to call Donna, and of course nobody is picking up. So now he's worried. You know he's got that on his mind, and then he goes back into the restaurant and sits down as he and Roger are having lobster for dinner because it's Maine. Why not? So is their company, I mean, because they got to go they there on this work trip, is the company footing the bell for, like, the hotel stay and the food, especially lobster? Oh, well, in Maine, I figure lobster's got to be a staple in that state. So now we go back to the camera's yard in the Pinto, and Ted says, Mommy, I have to go pee. And she's like, fuck. All right, you have to go bad, and he's like, yes. Real bad, like, you're going to burst if you don't go. And he's like, yes. Like, "Huh?" Because <laughs> she's like, all right, I'm going to open the door a crack and you can just go right outside. And it's like the kid forgets that the whole reason they're there in the car is because there's a dog outside. He's like, why can't we go outside? And she's like, because it's too cold. Hurry up. And Cujo is actually sitting... At the front, in front of the car. And he's like being so chill. Like he's just like sitting there, like, oh, 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 oh. you know, as the kids like peeing out the side of the car. And all of a sudden, remember, Charity you told Brett, when we get there tonight, you call your dad, and you ask, Hey, daddy, you feeding my dog? And that's what he's doing. But of course, and we all know that noises, loud noises, irritate Cujo. They piss him off. Because everything is, he's hypersensitive with the rabies. He can't drink water, can't stand loud noises. So, what's he do? Runs up to the house where the phone is, breaks the damn window, hoping that will stop the noise. That feels like it's shredding his brain. And... You do see if you watch this scene at the very last second he's in the broken window. you see an arm come from in into the shot basically and pull him out of the window, which i back then I guess I don't know how they were you know making edits whether they were. You know, snipping and cutting, splicing film—I don't know—but they missed this one. Like, this is so damn obvious. Like, who's that hand? Whose hand does that belong to? I Man, girl, you know, watching this as a, you know, as a preteen and whatnot, I probably thought it was just part of the movie. Like, oh, there's someone's hand. Who's that hand? And, of course, while Cujo is distracted with the ringing of the, of the phone and everything like that, Donna's like, okay, Tad, you're done. Just pull up your pants so I can shut the door. This dog just, after he breaks the window and everything and the telephone stops ringing, he goes over to where the porch is, where the steps are, and he just kind of lays down. And But, of course, he still has to growl. Here's another shot, the sun is cresting over the top of the, these are mountains, it's just like a hill, but this isn't, this is, so many shots of like early morning or pre-dusk light, so many shots, someone, I was like, we gotta get these shots of the early morning sun. They're just gorgeous and it's going to look great in this movie. And Donna and Tad somehow managed to get some sleep. And Donna, the way that she's kind of hunched over, kind of in her seat there. I'm just thinking, you're going to have a sore fucking neck. I mean, she's not leaning against her headrest. She was like kind of sideways in her in her seat, kind of, like, her head kind of bent sideways. I'm like, you're gonna have a stiff fucking neck. And for all we know, she probably thought she was waking up in bed. But she opens her eyes, turns her head to look out her, you know, the driver's side window there, and Cujo is just fucking planted, sitting right there, staring at her straight, um growling. It's almost like she forgot where she, like, sometimes, you know how when you stay over at a different place that isn't your own, and you wake up a little disoriented, like, where am I? Oh, yeah, that's right. (laughs) And then it just comes back, like, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm not in my own bed. Yeah, and then when she turns her head, like, like, oh, it's like your head is still in that fucking nightmare, like, ugh. That is not a sight you wanna see when you open your eyes. And I doubt that she had a a peaceful night's sleep either. She probably barely got any fucking sleep. And you know, sometimes you know, I don't know what the summers are like in Maine, but I know usually it does here in Texas, it does not take very long for it to really warm up. I mean it's late October going on November now, but I can imagine, like, in June, July and August, definitely, it's, like, it's 9 a.m. and it's, like, 80 plus fucking degrees out. I mean, not here right now. It's, like, let me see. It's, it's 61 right now and it's going on 11 o'clock, which is understandable. We had a shit ton of wind wind again. Again, yesterday we had a shit ton of, like, wind just blowing shit all over the fucking place dog knows how to do nothing but growl. And as they say, you know how the saying, their bark is worse than their bite? Well, his bite is as bad as his bark. And then we cut to Vic waking up in a hotel room and he tries to call home again. And we cut to the Trenton home and I I even told Jeremy on my I think it was on this viewing of it when we when well we <laughs> he wasn't watching it when I watched it and I, I told him I said you know growing up watching this probably a handful of times that paperboy on the bike for whatever reason I I kind of thought like maybe a couple times maybe once that that was Tad, like somehow he managed to get home and he's riding his bike, even though this kid's got kind of dark blonde hair and he's a little bigger. I just for a split said, like, oh, he was able to get home and he's riding his bike. Oh, no, that didn't happen. That's a completely different boy. But, yeah, throwing the paper, barely hitting the front of the house, and lands on the lawn somewhere. Again, you know, he thinks it's morning, she should be there, I mean, it's not like he's in a different time zone, he's still in Maine. I I don't know, (laughs) I mean, shit, He's and the the whole thing, like I said, he went on this trip and he's got this whole, my wife fucked around on me, now I called last night and now early this morning and she's not there, so he most likely probably thinks great she's probably still with steve kemp even though she said it was over is is it really over or did she lie to me again yeah tad also his bike is just hanging out on the uh lawn there that kid's got a good fucking aim for an arm you know just slamming that it's shocking it like a football it actually lands well above those steps that go down, so (laughs) not bad aim, not bad. Donna or Vic wouldn't have to walk very far to get the paper. I mean, they'd have to walk off their porch, but. So now we go back to the camber Yard. We do see a close-up of the mailbox with the red flag indicating that something needs to be taken by the mailman. Like, here's some outgoing mail. As Donna is rolling Tad's window down just a little bit, he's like, don't open the window! And she says, well, honey, I need to roll it down so we can get some airflow through here. It's like, yeah, he didn't forget, you know, what happened yesterday and the whole thing with its window being down. So... You brought them with him. Them right there. Do they have a little speaker under it's that? Right paper because oh, okay. it so loud. We got just a little bit left, and I think we ought to save it. Okay. Anyway, just for a while. Yeah, that's like they're running out of reserves. There, there's like very little left. Oh, and I mean, first... <laughs> How is that dog so alive, for fuck's sake? It's like it's had rabies for months. Oh, there's that bat. I mean, it almost looks kind of like a metal bat, but it's a wooden bat. <laughs> oh, fuck, Dad, please stop. It's too early in the morning. <laughs> Maybe start I'm afraid to try it because the batteries. Yeah, but you tried it yesterday, it worked. Does it matter if the battery is weak or not? we just sitting here, try it. Yeah, for shits and giggles sake. You never know. Shit, yeah, the battery is dead. Barely, almost dead. Even the horn stopped really. Yeah, the horn's dying too. So yeah, he brought the monster words with him, good for him, and of course, she's like, oh, can I see it? And I don't know whether there's, like, a little, like, um, microphone thing under the paper or something, because you hear it crinkle, like, really loud, like, crinkle, crinkle, like, normally... You wouldn't hear something so loud. But anyway, in close proximity, everything's probably amplified in that sound. Any type of sound is amplified in that car. So she, well, he's like, can you hand me those back, please? Thank you. And he starts reading them, which he's pretty much memorized the monster words, so he's not really even reading off the page. just, anyway. And while he's doing that, she's looking out, and she sees in the dirt. What is that? Is that a bat? Remember when they came to the Camber's yard the first time with Vic's Jaguar? That kid was whacking a ball, a baseball with a bat against the side of the barn? And I'm just thinking, that's right. Because the way that the camera, like the sun kind of glints off the baseball bat on the ground, it almost looks like it could be like a a ish, metal bat, but it's actually a wooden bat, which eh, would have been better with a metal bat. I'm just all I'm saying. So, Tad's like, hey, maybe it'll start now, you know, the car. And Donna says, well, I'm afraid to try it because the engine's so weak. And Tad brings up a good point. It's like, what does it matter if the engine's weak or not? I mean, we're just sitting here. Try it, please. Like, I mean, for shits and giggles sake, basically. Give it a shot. We're just sitting here. There's nothing else to do. If it doesn't work, oh well. But at least we'll know. I'm just thinking, but it worked the other day. You let the engine die down, and it fucking, like, it did. It started right fucking up. And it's like, it's been enough time, maybe. And then, of course, she proved her point. You know, turning the ignition. So it's like a whisper of a hint of battery power. And for emphasis, she does a little honking horn. I thought, oh, my gosh. She probably wasted so much battery on honking that damn horn to get the dog off the hood of the car. Like, well, that probably sucked whatever battery power you had. I was like, oh, shit. Because there's not left of that horn, either. (laughs) That horn is... So I was like... She tells them, don't worry, when the mailman comes, we'll go home. And Tad just rushes. Both of them are, like, their hair is, like, matted with sweat already this early in the morning. A lot of sweat stashes. A lot of sweat stashes. So, of course, we cut to the mailroom, and we got this giant, it's basically a bumper that's been wrapped in, like, blue, like, rubbery protective wrapping and George who even gets his own little spot in the book which is fucking nonsense like who gives a shit but he's getting ready to go deliver and you know he's taking that out to the Cambers, and then the guy's like George hold mail until notified Cambers." remember George they sent they gave us this now if you need to hold mail for vacations or whatever it's like you can do that shit online <laughs> they didn't have that option in 83 but it's like the guys like no 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 and i'm just thinking I'm, i even this time around i told jeremy when i watched this i, I said there's not a fucking thing that mailman would have been able to do not to mention isn't a mail like, truck, kind of, like, their doors are usually open. Do they even have doors? Or is it just that... Because that guy would have been fucking killed. What the hell would they be able to do? Hide out in the mail truck? I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, and I told me even you know, if you look around the yard, there's all these fucking vehicles. I'm sure none of them work. But even they're in a pinto, a two-seated pinto. There's a giant ass one shield, you got your big fucking windows that basically serve as two windows, and then you got this giant ass hatchback glass window. They're getting hit from all fucking directions with the sunlight. There is no place that's safe that they can go to get away from the sun beaming and turning that car into a fucking oven my goodness at least i told there's a yeah the station wagon that's right because he joe dropped you know charity and brett off at the bus station there's a fucking station wagon whether the keys are the who the fuck knows but it's like at least a station wagon you have more room to stretch out and move around they're stuck in those hunched little bucket seats (laughs) <laughs> I mean, they're padded and everything, which, great for that. Can you imagine if that were, like, leather? Like, leather seats in the in a fucking pinto? And Ted's wearing shorts! My God! His legs will be burning up! I mean, we all know that if you sit on, like, any type of upholstery like that, or, like, when you're at a restaurant and you're wearing shorts and got the vinyl seats, and you go to sit up, and you're just hearing the, is <laughs> your skin, like, has to, like, unstick from the vinyl seats. It's just like, ah. Funny seeing this mailman, if you think about it, he's the one that kind of kicked off everything, set everything off, from Vic taking his car out there, to them meeting Cujo, and then leading, you know, Donna eventually having to, and then you know, this whole thing. So, wow. If he had never even opened his mouth, they never would have went to Camber's and none of the shit would have happened. I mean, that is a lot of blame to put on on an old elderly mailman, but. So we go back to Camber's Yard. And of course, at this point, it's got to be like mid-afternoon. And you can just see the sweat, just beads of sweat perspiring on Donna's forehead. Her makeup is also kind of running a little bit just because it's so hot and everything. And she's seeing Cujo just like walking, ambling around, you know, constantly licking his his lips or mouth or jowls or Muzzle or whatever you want it. He just tongues up, just just lines of you know shoestring drool just falling out of his mouth. And the thing is, it just this is it's unrealistic because I read like I, that it doesn't take very long for the dog to die from. I'm gonna look that up right fucking now. Let me look this up. So. How long can a dog live with rabies? Let's see. Two, two hours! Holy fuck. After having contact with a rabid animal, the rabies virus may remain alive on your pet's oh on your pet's skin for up to two hours. And it's best not to touch your dog during the time. This time, if you must handle your dog, wear gloves. Uh, how long does it take for rabies symptoms to appear? Symptoms of rabies in dogs symptoms will begin to appear anywhere from 10 days to 8 weeks. That's a hell of a jump. So basically, that's a week and a half to two months from the day of exposure to the rabies virus. Symptoms of rabies infection include after the virus and contracted, it can take up to 8 weeks to reach the brain. Uh, can dogs survive rabies? An unvaccinated dog will not survive while a vaccinated dog has a chance. As noted above, you always should get your dog vaccinated against rabies since rabies infection is fatal. It is best to put a dog with suspected rabies into a carrier or cage for transport. It doesn't really say, how long long does rabies live in a dead animal? Rabies virus does not survive outside the body for more than a few seconds, but if an animal dies of rabies, the rabies virus may survive for up to two days in the body. So in the book, as Donna gets ready to take Ted and they go to Joe Cambers, she actually scrolls a note and puts it on the fridge saying, Ted and I have gone out to Jay Canberra's Garage with Pinto back soon. So, when they go outside into the summer heat, it says, the heat hit them like a hammer wrapped in pillows. Uh, Apparently, the car did start, and it was 340. So, it was, like, going on quarter to four. This is, like, is this What time did she set the appointment for? I mean, doesn't. I mean, Joe is his own business, so he's probably got irregular hours. And we see a close up shot of Donna's eyes as she is looking at Cujo. She's saying, Get back in that barn, damn you. Like, get back in that barn. It's like, Yeah, why the fuck is this dog out in this damn miserable heat? I mean, for fuck's sake. No, oh, it's just going to lay there on the ground. Like, ooh! Damn phone is ringing again. Apparently Brett or Charity, someone's trying to call home. And still no answer. So, yeah, the phone starts ringing, and Cujo starts charging towards the house, but he stops halfway, looks over his shoulder at the Pinto with Donna and Tad. And it's almost like he's trying to make a decision. Because he already broke that window one, so it's not like... You know, I don't know what is he going to do, like, rip the phone, like, go through the broken window and, like, tear the phone out of the wall or some shit like that? It's like, if you want that ringing to stop, you go after the phone. But no, he's going to take take it out on Donna and Tad. Tad, who now adds so hot that, you know, Tad now is just in shorts. And Donna, of course... Has her long pepto-bismol pink long-sleeve shirt draped over the back of the her, you know, the seat behind her, and she's just wearing like it almost kind of looks like a, a tank top. But even there, it's just you it's just, see like beads, like sweat perspiration, because again, it's supposed to be July. It's hotter than fuck out. And there's no coverage, there's no trees that are nearby that are going to create any type of coverage or relief from the sun beating down. So he rams his head, Cujo does, into the side of the driver's side door. And for a quick shot, if you watch this scene, that actually is a man in a dog costume because of the way that he crumples to the ground. And Tad right away is screaming, and Donna's got Tad, you know, pulled against her, and they're in the passenger side car car seat there, like, she's, of course, pulling him, and she's like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, it's like, because even Tad, you know, when the car finally stalls out and everything after Donna's, you know, getting all upset, and Tad's like, Mommy, are you okay? I thought you were mad at me. And she's like, no, no, never at you. And then he starts asking questions like, can he get us in here? Can he eat his way in here? And she's like, no, no. And then Tad says, I wish he would die. And she says, me too. And now it's really, she doesn't know what the dog is capable of. And this is a, a Pinto is not a big car either. I mean, I've seen cars smaller than a Pinto that this dog probably could tip on its side. And he, again, hits the driver's side door with his head, and that causes the the fucking door handle on the inside to fall off. It's like, shit, what is this car made out of? Like, tinfoil? Donna's got her hand over Tad's mouth, like, trying to keep him quiet, because clearly that's agitating the dog, along with the phone ringing. not like that phone has got a fucking answering machine that eventually is going to pick up after so many rings. Like, no, they're just, if they keep calling and calling, that phone is going to keep ringing and ringing and ringing. You just see from inside that broken window that shot of Cujo just clawing his his paws on that window, because the window was open just a crack. And he's, like, trying to get his, you know, his face in there and everything. You see his muzzle and just the bud just dripping off of his muzzle onto the inside of the window. I'm like, ugh. He keeps, like, turning Tad around, like, she's turning him around to face her to try to get her hand over his mouth to quiet him. And she keeps telling me, stop, stop, stop crying. Stop screaming because it makes him angry. That's why he's doing this. Because you're screaming. You need to stop. And then, I don't know what that glass is made of on those windows, but he goes over the passenger side door, and he, I don't know whether it's with his head because we only see it from the inside, but something, he... It's like that stuff is like shatterproof in some way because when he hits it, it turns the the passenger side window turns into like frosted glass where it's shattered, but it's still like holding its own, which is good because that shatters, they're fucking done. They are fucking done. There would be nothing to stop that dog diving into that car on the outside also the passenger side door Cujo is now pulling the door handle off of the door it's like my god this door is just this dog is just trying to get in there any way he possibly can like what is he think he's gonna like like Tad like can he eat his way in here it's like well he's trying he's trying to like rip the door handle off if he could rip the door off the hinges he probably would Okay, because I said where the passenger window is, there's a smaller window that is probably, that is right behind the passenger window there. There's an even smaller window, which, I mean, he wouldn't be able to get through that, but he probably could break it. And Kucha takes a flying leap onto the hood of the car and jumps all the way up onto the roof of the car. And Donna's just like looking upward like holy shit and it's like the dog is like trying to use its like paws and paws so, like almost like he's trying to pry the roof off almost like you're pulling like the top like cover of like a metal can of cat food like you're or, or even a can of tuna, you're just prying it back it's almost like he thinks somehow like hell no and i'm like thinking Oh my god, if they had that fucking jag, they would 100% be dead. Because the only thing on that jag that would be a cover would be, like, that cloth cover. They would fucking be dead dead with that fucking thing. If that were the case and they brought that thing, which they didn't. He's just bleeding with him, like, please be quiet, please be quiet. he's just, "Ah!" And, and then the dog finally, like... (laughs) on the roof of the car jumps down it's almost like the ringing has stopped so the dog is just like okay I clearly can't get in any of the ways I've tried. He sticks his muzzle his face in there into the crack of the driver's side window and then he just drops down. Yeah Tad is is just saying I want to go home and she's like yeah I want to go home too and I don't know at first I thought he said I don't think so or something, and now Vic is again trying to call the house and still not getting an answer. So, again, he is now distracted by this while he's trying to work, and, of course, his manager, boss, whoever he is, and even Roger is like, hey, Vic, hey, hello, are you here? Are you with us? What's going on with you? Because Vic is just a million miles away. He's at home wondering what is going on. And they keep watching the same damn take of the sharp cereal professor taking a bite of that red raspberry zinger cereal, which is where the red dye came from and caused all the issues, as he's saying, nope, nothing wrong here. And they keep playing it back like they're hoping for inspiration that will solve their fucking problem. Like, uh, And then, of course, Roger gets up and Vic's like, oh, where are you going? And Roger says, I need some sugar. So then he's like, like, professionally drained right now. It's like, I need something. I need, I know Red Bull did not exist those energy drinks did not exist. I mean, I don't even know what the hell. I mean, those five-hour little energy bottle drinks didn't exist then either. So it's like, what the hell were people using? Was it Mountain Dew? Were like, I got to chug, like, some sugar. I'm going to go grab a Mountain Dew and see if that kind of helps or something. I'm just wondering, like, what was the first energy drink drink? Like, what we know is, like, Those monster drinks, or the five-hour energy, or Red Bull, or something that's going to basically amp your- Caffeine pills! Didn't those exist in 83? Take those fucking caffeine pills. I should know from experience, I took two that was equal- each pill was equal to two cups of coffee. I I know I told this on an episode of something that I covered for the podcast when I worked third shift at uh, a Kmart back in 2005. It was my first night working from, like, 10 p.m. to 6 or 7 a.m. and just not knowing how I'd be able to handle it. And I took two of those caffeine pills, and all of a sudden – it didn't take long before I'm going, like, uh – like, and my foot starts jingling, and my hand is, like, doing – You know, bouncing on the, on the, against the table and shit like that. But it's like, ugh. I I feel bad for Vic. Just, I wish she. Oh my goodness. Yeah, he did not need this fucking distraction bullshit hitting him while he's trying to save his company. It almost makes me think it's like he and Roger, this is their own little you know, company alongside working. It's like Jesse and Joey were working from home, but they're also working for a person, an ad agency is giving them stuff. So something to that degree, like we're partners and everything like that. And we'll, but they still have someone they have to answer to regardless of whether they're working in an office or they're working from home or whatever. So, this must be the next day, or maybe it's even later in the day or something, because Donna is now trying to get out of the car. She's got, you know, Kujo knocked that, you know, the door handle from the inside of the car. He knocked it off, so now she's trying to, like, adjust it so she can actually get out of the car, which... Even other people have said, why doesn't she just go through the passenger door? Probably because that's where Tad is sleeping. I mean, you see even this kid is, like, literally drenched in sweat. And then Donna is, like, looking out the windshield, looking out, the well, the side window's, like, broken. And then looking out the back, seeing if she sees Cujo anywhere. Well, clearly, maybe he's in the barn or something like that. So she's trying to weigh her options of maybe, what, maybe she can hopefully get to the house. Because the house, they're like in the middle of the yard. She, I don't know why she's got her nylons wrapped around her hand. Maybe because maybe the metal's hot from... Sitting in the sun of the door handle as she tries to put it, uh, it just that when Cujo hit it, that thing fucking fell like off, like it was like just like had broken off and had was cheaply glued back on. It just so she's trying to open the door and she actually does succeed. She gives them to like shove her shoulder, kind of like like, shouldering the fucking door, like, the weight of her body against the damn door to kind of help it, but she manages to open it, I think, great, what happens if you can't close the fucking door? Like, you managed to open it, but now the door is, like, fucking stuck or something, it's like, well, then you definitely would be fucked. Okay, and I see where the dog is laying directly in front of the car. At first, I'm like, how the fuck is he fitting under there? He's not. He's laying under underneath the front of the the fender there underneath the two headlights. He's stretched out. And while she does shut the door, she manages to shut it. But I'm like, oh, man, what if that door don't open? And of course, she looks underneath the car. The dog ain't going to fit under there. And Cuja winds up behind her. Why would he waste time going around the back side of the car when he could have just as easily came around where he was at the front and just met her face to face? I guess Cujo's more about the sneak attack. Because he starts growling and she, cause she's bent over looking. Like, is he under? Is he? no? Nope. And, yeah, it's like she's left herself so exposed and vulnerable. And Cujo jumps on her and starts attacking her, and she's trying to fend him off. Like, she's even trying to, like, knead the dog in the stomach when he's, like, jumping up at her uh, at full height. And, of course, okay, so Tad was actually in the hatchback sleeping. That's what, Well, no wonder he's perspiring. and the sun is probably beating down on that window of the hatch, hatchback area. And he is cowering, and this has woken him up, and he is cowering behind the seat. And she manages to get the door open, and before she can shut the door, having gotten into the car, of course, Cujo jumps in there, jumps on top of her. She is able to reach down into the passenger seat floor and grab that big metal thermos, and she starts whacking Cujo with it. And then he basically takes a chunk out of her. You don't see it because she's wearing a skirt, but he just rips into her fucking leg. So, well, this is a problem because she is not only severely injured, but now she has been infected with rabies. So, yeah. you I mean, you do see the exposed bite marks on her leg as Tad is like Mommy, mommy, and just, like, let me see. And she, and she like, yanks her leg back. And he's just like, I want to go home. And she's like, Ted, listen to me. And she is just really, like, falling in and out of consciousness, I can imagine. Just don't get out of the car. And this effect was just kind of weird because it's... They put a camera on, like, a little tripod thing because the car... It's kind of cut up into different sections for different vantage points. And they cut a hole in the roof of the cart and they put this little tripod pole thing and it put a camera that it spins on this little axle thing around and around. So you're getting this weird effect that it just, and st- the scene just starts to blur within itself. And then we see Vic waking up from one nightmare and it's almost, part of you almost thinks like, did he dream that? Or did that actually happen? No, it actually happened because we do see Donna. It's dark out. She is trying to, with scraps from her her skirt, her long down to the ankle skirt, she's been ripping sections to try to make like what a tourniquet or just you know somehow stop the bleeding. By, you know, tying off where the wound is at and everything. Also, this is you know, when Vic wakes up from, I'm guessing, a nightmare or something. And he calls home. Still no answer. And he says, it's been three days. And Donna has not picked up the phone. And, of course, Roger equates this all to, well, look. I know you're stressed out. I'm stressed out, too. Believe me, I get it. You think your creative juice is gone. You can't come up with an answer to the Sharp account and all this. It's just panic. Don't worry. And Vic is like, he just starts, because he's dressed ready to go home. It's like, look, before I left, Donna admitted she had had an affair But And she has not answered the phone in three days. She said she stopped this thing, but I just, I don't know. I have to go back. And Roger's all like, well, what about me? This whole thing to save this account was your idea. I thought it was the manager's idea, their boss's idea, for them to take care of this situation. So you can't do that to me. Like, oh, fuck you. I'm sure the company's paying for your hotel room and your lobster meal that you had. Chill the fuck out. If you're getting you're and you're probably getting paid to do this too, so relax, Roger. And as Vic gets on the elevator, last-ditch effort to get him to say, Roger says, "Vic, you can't run out on the Sharp account." And of course, Vic's like, "Watch me," and he gets on the elevator. So now we, of course, now we get to the back to the campus yard. It's dark. And Donna is trying to, you know, tie off her wound with her, you know, remnant of scraps of her skirt that she's just tearing off in, like, pieces. And then, of course, Cujo decides to lay on the hood of the car. So he's basically looking in on them. And you just hear Donna's plea, her prayer to God, just, God, please get me out of here. Please get me out of here. again we have the sun rising up over the hill again so tad is having a seizure and i mean cuz donna wakes up and she hears this congested like <clears throat> you know wheezing sound from tad and he's like <clears throat> and he's grasping at his throat like he, you know he can't breathe and his eyes are rolling back in his head and the thing is I, in the behind the scenes, if you watch, like, the documentary as the special feature and stuff, Daniel Pintero, I guess when he was young, had had seizures. So, you know, he kind of remembered what it what it was like. So this definitely helped in, you know, his performance of reenacting what it was like, you know, to have a seizure. And mind you, this child, the actor is six years old playing, like, four and everything like that. But, and I'm going to play the clip here. And Donna is just like, Tad, Tad, wake up. And she's holding him, and he's like, his eyes are rolling back in his head. He's grasping his throat. He cannot breathe. And Donna is just fixated on the door to the Camber house. Like, can I get there? Even in the book, you know, at the point where... The car isn't working. It's not turning over. She even asked herself mentally, can I do it? Would I be able to outrun the dog to get to the front of the porch and get inside the house and use the phone? Because at some point, I guess, Donna had been a track star in high school. So, I mean, she could be physically fit. I mean, here, she's injured, so... That's a hell of a risk now that she'd be taking as she's seeing that door handle. Like, can I get to the door? Can I outrun this dog and save my baby? There we wake up. I'm Scoochie right out of the barn. <laughs> Again, she's singing that damn hiney, shiny song, but whatever, you know, she's trying to get her son to calm down. And the thing is, another thing that Daniel Pintero, in that interview, when he was talking about this scene, he says he remembers actually biting Dee Wallace's finger, who, you know, Dee Wallace plays Donna. And her reaction is real when she's sticking her finger in his mouth trying to probably, like, pull his tongue back so he doesn't swallow his tongue. And she's, like, putting her finger in and it's, an ow! Ow! You know, That's him actually biting her finger. That is a real reaction. That is not... That's... They kept that in. So, she's trying to get him to calm down again. And he's just saying, I want to go home. And meanwhile, Cujo, who comes out of the barn, and she's trying to take care of her son, and he's, you know, standing up against the damn window of the driver's side door and just barking his full head off. I'm like, Cujo, shut the fuck up. I don't think that would have helped. Like, I'm trying to save my son. You're not helping. Get the fuck out of here. No, I don't think he would have responded to that. I mean, even Joe and Gary said Cujo's name, and he didn't, you know... React to it. Where they just like sit down, lay down. He wouldn't. He that those commands would mean shit to him. So we go back to the ha- and in the book, I well even maybe so even in the movie, maybe Steve did take off, but he comes back. Cause he's up against the damn window, like looking in. Is Donna here? Cause her car's not there. And of course, he's still got a fucking key to their house, so he can just let him set himself in willy nilly. And he opens, you know, he goes in there and he's like, "Donna, Donna, hello." And then you see him kind of run his. There's like steak knives in a, um, they're displayed on the wall, and he's running as he's going. Out of the kitchen, through that doorway, like, maybe leading up to go upstairs, he's running his fingers along them, and and he ends up taking one, and then he goes upstairs and destroys the fucking bed, just rips it to shit, just... Feathers are going to be all over. when, when, Yeah, and it's to the point where there's feathers, like when Vic comes into the doorway of the house, there's feathers leading all the way upstairs. They have a winding staircase. And he just sees their bed is just ripped to shit. And the book, because we don't see Steve do any of this shit with the the giant uh, butcher knife or whatever it is. We only see the after effects. But in the book, he fucking jerks off on their bed. That is fucking nasty. It's like he's getting revenge or something. Steve comes in and he's like, anybody home? Like, does it look like it? No cars are in the fucking driveway. So, what the? Of course, nobody's home. I gotta ask this. Just out of curiosity. What if she had been home and Ted had actually been there? What would he have done? Kidnapped? Because apparently, that's what Vic thinks. When he gets home and sees his bedroom and everything is fucking trash, he thinks Steve Kemp, like, clearly he did this. And clearly he must have taken Donna and Tad. However, in the book, she left a note, but who's to say that Steve Kemp didn't take the note and just crumple it? He even helps himself... To an apple that's in a bowl with bananas. Oh, and there's oranges on the bottom, too. Yeah, it's a display case that looks like it's on the side of a pantry. It's got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, or eight knives displayed there from largest to smallest. And you just see him say, Donna, and then he, like, runs his fingers over the knives does not look like he's flicking off the audience? When he's running his fingers over the knives there, they're displayed, it's like he's, (laughs) you his middle finger to, like, flick off the viewers. Yeah, so we do see Vic come home. The door to the front of the house is not even fucking shut. And it's just, like, blanketed with big-ass pillows. I don't know how many feathers this this mattress had contained inside of it, but it's a fucking lot. It's almost like he took handfuls of the feathers from the mattress, I mean, multiple trips, to, like, send a trail of feathers leading up to the bed. That's what Steve must have done. He's like, I want you to see the damage I did to your bedroom and to your mattress. Everyone in this movie has a fucking sweat stash. Vic has one, I think even now we're going to get to the police, coming to investigate what the fuck happened. And apparently Steve also took the knife to a black and white, like, 8x10 picture of Donna and just slashed it. And they're also asking, like, hey, she's got a friend in, what, Reardon or something? Did you, like, get in contact with her and see if she and her son are there? And Vic is telling the police officers, the investigators, like, no, I'm telling you, it's Steve Kemp. He's the one that did this. Let's take stock here. We got quite a bit of ferns. We got a big, tall, standing fern. There are so many fucking windows in this house. One, two, because there's three in Tad's room. And then there's, like, three here. But there's, like, giant, there's a, like, stuff's been also tipped over. How many damn end tables do they fucking need? Or quarter tables? There's a lot of them. There's, like, one, two, potted, there's, like, a potted giant fucking fern, and then there's some fancy... Like, leafy fern, and then there's another fern that was- They have a lot of, like, little, like, corner, like, end tables in this bedroom. It's fucking insane. Who is the set designer for this movie? Because this is a- I don't know. Oh my- There's a shit ton of people in this room. We got the investigator, we got Bannerman, the police officer, we got some other dude- People look like they're taking photographs of the bedroom, like there's a giant fucking murder that went down in this bedroom. Yeah, there's the investigator, the police officer, there's another police officer, so there's some man that's dressed in a suit that's, you know, his back is to us. I'm like, the fuck? Did they call out every single man on the station that wasn't on a call? Like, can you please come over here? So of course the investigator asks Vic, Where's your wife's car, Mr. Trenton? And I don't know what's e- <laughs> it Vic's like, Her what? Her car Her What? Is he speaking English? <laughs> Her car You fucking dummy. So of course the private investigator, wherever the fuck this guy is, I don't know. But he's like, well, let's see here. Kemp came here, took your wife and kid. Why? Well, he's crazy. I mean, which is reason enough. But where's your wife's car? And then Vic says, well, it's at Camber's. And this, uh, Bannerman's like, Joe Camber's? Like, yeah, Joe Camber. The needle valve was sticking. I'm guessing that was the problem alongside the fucking alternator and the fact that the seatbelt don't work and the car is just a heaping walking pile of disaster shit. Basically, just, you just sum it up, to say the fucking Pinto is a death trap. And he says, you know, she was going to take it in, and then, well, when was that? He's like, fuck, I don't know. I've been gone for fourteen days. She could have taken it in the next the day after I left. Bannerman says, I'll go check it out. And it's called Vic Steve. Oh, that would have been an insult. As Vic asks, "Well, wait, what are you gonna do about Kemp?" And the the PI is like, "Hey, look, we'll put a you know a APB or whatever the fuck on Kemp. We will get him before he skips town. Is gonna be fine. Don't worry, Kemp's taken care of." As we see the slashed picture of Donna. That's supposed to be later in the afternoon or the next day. It might be later in the afternoon. And Donna and Tad are sleeping, because what the fuck else are you going to do in that car? Not to mention the heat is probably making them downright exhausted, along with dehydrating them. Mitchell is, like, hanging out by the fence line of the entry into the yard, and of course he hears the police car coming up the road. It's like he takes off to go hide or something. This dog has got so much fucking energy for a dog that's been having rabies for a while. He drives literally right past the Pinto. Donna and Tad, of course, are in the front seat, the front two seats, which is probably understandable because you don't want to go into the back. But you hear, like, the crackling voice of the whoever's at the station. This guy's sweating up a storm. He hasn't even gotten out of the car yet. Well, it's harder than fuck. That maybe the police car doesn't have AC. Who knows? He drives up by the barn, and then he goes to radio something in because he sees the Pinto. But then he hears some noise from the barn, so he decides to investigate, and he's got his gun on him. And of course, he goes into the barn, and out pops Cujo. And the guy goes to to shoot Cujo, but the dog is faster and knocks the gun out of his hand, and we see the gun land off to the side. Before he can even get to his gun, Cujo is on him. And Cujo's got Bannerman, the police officer, on the ground. He's just, like, ripping at his uniform, shirt. And this, of course, awakens Donna, who's been sleeping, because Bannerman is, like, screaming. I'm not sure what the hell he reaches over to grab and hits Cujo, but he's able to get up and climb onto some hay bales. And then Donna's awake now, and she's sitting up. She's watching, like, she's like, there's a person here. There's a cop here. But of course, she probably figures oh shit, because the dog's going after him like this guy's not gonna last long. Climbing up like into the rafter area or up into this it's like a little loft section that's got like hay bales and shit. And he's hanging on to a beam, like with his arms are over the beam as Cujo is like yanking on his pant leg. Donna is trying to get... I mean, I don't know. Does Donna think she can help him? Maybe distract Cujo? Probably. Maybe she does think that. Maybe she thinks, if I get out, I'll distract him away from the officer and then that way he can help us. It's not really a loft area, per se. It's just, like, a bunch of, like, hay bales underneath these paint cans and shit. All these, you know, beams that are kind of connected and the dog keeps jumping at him and stuff and All the guy can really do is, like, hang on to this beam for dear life as he's kicking at Cujo. And it's like he's standing on this beam and then there's this beam that's kind of, uh, you know, he ends up, you know, for his his own balance and everything. And he's, like, swinging his arms down, like, trying to hit Cujo to, you know, get him to back the fuck off. And Cujo, because he's, Gosh, what would you say? He's probably five feet if he's standing, like, all the way up on his hind feet. And he just, all he does is he jumps up and he, like, pushes Bannerman with enough force that he goes back. That beam is made out of fucking sawdust because it breaks. And he falls and then Cujo is just on top of the guy. Donna is trying to get out of the car, but apparently that, that door is not opening. She's even trying with the handle, trying to attach the handle again and trying to open the fucking door. I think at some point she actually does go out the passenger door. And so Bannerman, the police officer, is dead. Cujo killed him. Donna's able to get out the passenger side door and that's when Cujo comes running and starts barking at her again face again covered in blood. And when she gets inside the car again and shuts the door, that's when Tad starts having another, I don't know whether you would call it an uh, asthma attack or whether you would call it a another type of a seizure because he starts like (laughs) and it's almost, yeah. Well, not to mention, I don't know how long ago they ran out of that milk or water, but there is, I can imagine like dehydration has definitely set in and that is causing issues, or I wonder if this is just a condition that he has had since he was a baby and she's just dealt with it and it may be sudden um, instances of stress and just being overheated and dehydrated. You know, they've been sitting in that fucking car for days now with no water, most likely no food. And it doesn't take much to set this child off and start, you know, his breathing issues again. Ana has been trying to keep her cool as much as he can, and she um, she loses it. As we see Kucho, like, I don't know what the hell he's doing with the police officer now that the police officer is dead. He's just, like, playing with his body like it's a, a toy or something like that. And Tad, you know, and she's beating on Tad's back, like, getting, like, breathe, come on, breathe. And he's like, I want my daddy. I want my daddy. And, and just, just crying, like, I want my daddy. And she's, like, finally, she's like, all right, I'll get your daddy. Just screaming, like. And the thing is, I get in the behind the scenes thing. I guess whether the director wanted to cut that scene, like, oh, that's too much. But. You know, D. Wallace said no. You should leave it in because I guess they did like test screenings. And how many people, or maybe after the movie, women mothers had watched that scene and they like either they wrote to D. Wallace and just said, "I totally empathize empathize with that scene that Donna's going through. Like I have been there with my kid, where you hit a breaking point and you lose it and you just go off on your kid like that. It's like." Parents have been there and this is Donna's breaking point. Any parent can be the most chill parent and just patient with their child But at some point a parent can only take so much before something just is just You know like stop just stop just yeah Yeah, and and like this is me speaking from the point of view of someone who is not a parent (laughs) So Kuja just like Kujia, Jessica, okay. Breathe. Fun now. I <laughs> okay. 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 Oh my god. So now we cut back to the Trenton house. We got Vic that's putting away some of Tad's clothes into the closet. So the private investigator, don't know what the fuck his name is, he comes in to tell Vic, we picked up Kent or Kemp. We picked up Steve Kemp. And, you know, Vic's kind of organizing, you know, picking up Tad's room, some books and stuff. And he looks at him as he stands. He asks, are they all right? And the private investigator says, well, and he says, well, your wife and son weren't with him. In fact, he says that he, he claims that he never even saw them. And that, that he, he doesn't believe. He's like, bullshit. You really believe him. After what he did to my house? To my bedroom? And the guy (laughs) looks like he doesn't give a shit. Well, I mean, he admits that he trashed the house. I mean, the story checks. Of course it fucking does! You have evidence! (laughs) They were taking pictures! That the bedroom was trashed! He says, well, truth is, you know, I believe him. So, and then Vic... Almost like a second thought. He's like, oh, what um, what did Bannerman say when he went out to Cambers? And the guy's like, oh, the investigator's like, well, I mean, you know, he's probably uh, filing up some lead. I mean, we should be hearing from him any And Vic is like, are you fucking kidding me? He hasn't even called in? And Vic is like, okay, I gotta check this shit out for myself because something is fucking going on. No, police don't give a shit. They honestly don't want to follow up that one of their damn officers has not radioed in and given an update on the situation at the Canberra place. That would be concerning. Like, you don't care that one of your employees, your officers, is, has not radioed in in, like, probably, like, 12 hours or whatever? Seriously? Get your head out of your ass, Castle Rock Police Department. Kim. Right. Well, your <laughs> wife and son weren't with him. Uh, he claims that he never even saw him. Bullshit. Now you don't believe that, do you? <laughs> Not after what he did to the house. That's the thing. Uh, he admits that they trashed the house. Eh? Story checks. Well, duh. See, the truth, I believe him. What did Bannerman say? Well, he. Uh, Probably following up some. Following lead, up uh, some. Lead. We'll be hearing from him any time now. <laughs> okay. have not give him yet? a shit. He hasn't even called in. Like yeah, let's, let's do the job that the police officer apparently can't be bothered to do. So he takes off. I honestly, I mean, if he knew, like, okay, clearly the Pinto's not here. It's clearly at Camber's. I would have fucking went there first before I even. I mean, I get he had to go to the house and check and see if, you know, what's going on. Are they dead here at the house? And that's why they haven't picked up the phone. Someone killed them or something. And it's just like, the fuck? Just, I I would like if they're not here, then, and the Pindo's not here, then clearly check Joe Camber's place. I would have said, fuck it, forget about calling the police over because the room is trashed. Just go over to Camber's and find out what the fuck is going on. That's exactly what Vic does. So, we cut back to the Pinto in the yard, and Tad is stretched out in the back, and he just, he looks dead. He really does. And Don, I mean, he's not having a asthma or a seizure or anything and she is like come on baby come on wake up wake up and he just he is like limp like an un, like uh overcooked spaghetti noodle he is just not responding and she's kind of like slapping his cheek like tad tad he's not he's not hearing her and she even bends down to listen to his chest like is his heart even be- beating because it doesn't look like he's breathing You can see he's breathing. He's still alive, but he's clearly unconscious. I mean, the actor is breathing, but he just looks like he is unconscious. His lips are so chapped. So, so chapped. (laughs) Just dehydration. It's like any liquid they got in their body, they have been slowly, like, sweating it out to the point where they're like a dried out corn husk. Of a body. Finally, I mean, when she, she even says after she listens to, you know, his heartbeat, he's got one, but it's very, very faint. And she's even saying, I'm losing my baby. I'm losing my baby. And she finally makes the decision. It's like, I have got to get into that fucking house. And remember, when she was, when Tad was was repeating the monster words and stuff, and she was looking out and seeing that baseball bat, she figures that is her one line of defense to at least protect herself against this damn dog. One way or another, it's like, Tad's life is like slowly draining away, and she does not have many more chances to get to that damn house and get inside and save her son. He looks dead, or at least unconscious. He's just completely unresponsive. (laughs) Dad. (laughs) see my baby. yeah, she goes out the passenger. She doesn't see that there is no door handle on that door as she shuts it, which is going to pose a problem. And she's limping, of course, because of that injury. And here comes Kujo right underneath the steps of the house. She's limpingly trying to get her- Oh, there's the bat. Yeah, bash your fucking head in. You never see her make contact with the dog with that bat. You see she's whacking it's like you're seeing it from Cujo's point of view that she's whacking him even though he's nowhere near her. (laughs) 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 But she's turning around the police car. A gun. I would just shot him. Shot the fucking dog. Shoot his ass. He's right. You got the gun. He's unconscious. <laughs> Shit, and now she can't get into the fucking car, and her son's in there. Ah, and she realizes there's no door handle. It's so like she's trying to, like, yeah, open that hatch. Does that thing walk on its own, too? How do you open that fucking thing? Trying to bash open that hatch window with that butt of that gun. Okay, so basically what happens, she, you never see her actually connect with the dog when it comes to that bat, but being it's a wooden bat and not a fucking metal bat, maybe if it were a metal bat she would have had, I don't know, it would have done more damage. But the reason that you never see her on screen connect the bat with the dog's head is because according to that behind the scenes documentary feature is that that wouldn't have tested well with the audience Because even though she is in peril, she's defending herself against this fucking rabid dog. At the end of the day, no one wants to see a dog being hit or abused with a bat or just any, any violence against any animal whatsoever. So, of course, as she's hitting the dog, eventually the bat breaks and it's like, it's almost like a Take to the heart like you're killing a fucking vampire. And she, mind you, she's wearing heels, right? She was wearing heels. She, and she doesn't know what's on going because she's backing up. And she trips over this, like, tree root in the ground. And the du- Cujo jumps on her. And she just stabs right into, what, his chest, I guess? But that, <laughs> that sound effect... That came from that dog, which didn't. It's a sound effect. You hear that in the beginning of the movie when Cujo gets bit by that bat. Same damn sound effect. Same... (laughs) You know that sound. So... It looks like Cujo's dead. Because he, like, collapses on top of her. And she, like, manages to push this 200-pound dog off of her body. And then she happens to find the gun that Sheriff Bannerman had, and she points it at the dog. It's like, come on, just shoot him. Just shoot Cujo. He's unconscious. just lying there. So, and then she's like, oh, shit, Tad. And then she really, she's trying to open her car door to the driver's side. Can't do it. Then she goes around to the passenger side. And finally realizes there's no damn door handle, like fucking fuck. So she goes over to the hatch, which I guess I don't know how the fuck you unlock that thing. But either she's so panicked that she can't do it, but she's got that gun, which she starts like j- like smashing the button, and it's just a handgun, you know. That's all that it is, and she's beating it against the the glass, and somehow it shatters it, doesn't cut up Tad at all, and I thought, how many times I watched this, I "Ah!" I thought that she, I honestly thought that she had shot herself in the hand. I honestly thought that. So, Before I get to where she's actually taking Tad, his lifeless limp body, into the house, I want to kind of go over some stuff in the book so you can get a feel of what it's like from Donna's point of view being in that car. Okay, so kind of in the book here, go. you know what, I'm just going to... Let's finish off the movie, and then I can go back and kind of do details, because you're probably like, no, no, just keep... So I'm going to do that, actually, let's just, because the movie is almost over, and then I can kind of go into more detail with the book. Uh, I'm making the decision now, (laughs) this is going to be split into two parts. The part one will be released today, Friday the 29th of December, and then part two is going to be released on Sunday the 31st, Halloween. This review already is bordering on five and a half hours. I don't even think that SoundCloud would let me upload something that's over five and a half hours, so and I'm not gonna do that to you guys <laughs> because that would be too too long. So I think each part probably is gonna be over three hours long each. so all right, let's get on to that. So she's got tad's limp, practically lifeless body. she takes him into the house. Uh, The kitchen table of the Camber house has got cereal, milk, what have you, cereal box. She takes her arm across it and just knocks everything to the floor and gets Tad's body on there. And she goes over to the sink and starts getting the water running and just like putting the water in his mouth. Even though her arms, her hands are like all bloody and everything like that. And she's just trying to get him to breathe to the point where she ends up having to do CPR on her son. He's just like, come on, baby, breathe, breathe. And she's you know blowing into his mouth as she is hysterical, just crying. Like, baby, come on, breathe, breathe, breathe. And it's just your heart breaks for her in the documentary Daniel Pintero said because they filmed in April it was so fucking cold and they are practically I mean dad through most of the movie from the time that they're there is in just shorts he's gotta be they even D. Wallace said they put heaters in the car because it was that fucking cold I think at some point you do see when they zoom in on you know Ted's shirtless self there's little goosebumps that are rising up because it's fucking cold. But he did say that when D is pouring, you know, when, you know, Donna is pouring water onto Tad and like in his mouth, that is like warm, hot water. She's pouring on him because it was just so fucking cold on that set on location where they were filming. Doing compressions on his chest like she's trying to, like, now she's propping him up so that way she can perform CPR on him. And now we see Vic, he is on his way to get out of the camper house. CPR and crying at the same time okay he was breathing on (coughs) his own just jump through that fucking kitchen window. Okay she's got that gun on her <laughs> <laughs> Shoots him right in the fucking face. Yes, Donna But <laughs> here comes Vic. He's into the yard And he, of course, he sees the Pinto, and he's going around trying to find them. And he's seeing the blood, and I'm like, "What the fuck?" There's a police car. Donna, Donna. And then he, uh, yep, he sees her coming out of the house holding Tad. And she's like, "Oh my gosh she." And it's almost like the way she's holding her hands up, like, I'm sorry, like, oh, and then he goes up there on the steps and takes Tad from her, and that's where we freeze frame. So that is the movie section. Now, I want to read some parts from the book so you can actually get an idea of what is going through, you know, Donna's mind. This... One section here I want to read is shortly after Kujo attacked the car for the first time, and she is going to try to start the car again. All right. She she drew her hand away from the key again. Mommy, aren't we going? Let me think, hun. she said. She looked to her left out the driver's side door. Eight running steps would take her to the back of the camber house. In high school she had been the star of her high school's girls track team and she still jogged regularly. She could beat the dog to the door and inside she was sure of it. There would be a telephone, one called Sheriff Bannerman's office and this horror would end. On the other hand if she tried cranking the engine again it might not start. But it would bring on the bring the dog on the run. She knew hardly anything about rabies but she wondered to she seemed to remember reading at some time or other that rabbit animals were almost supernaturally sensitive to sounds. Loud noises could drive them into a frenzy. Mommy, shh, dad, shh. Eight running steps. That's all it would take. Even if Kuja was lurking and watching inside the garage just out of sight, she felt she knew, she felt sure she knew she could win a foot race to the back door. The telephone, yes. And a man, like Joe Camber, surely kept a gun. Maybe a whole rack of them. What pleasure would be to give, what pleasure would give her to blow that fucking dog's head to so much oatmeal and strawberry jam? That is a gross fucking image, I can tell you right now. Wow. And what if that door giving giving on the porch was locked? Is that worth the risk? Honestly, yeah. What would have happened if she'd went to the door, she made it there, and the door was fucking locked? It's the country, I'm telling you. Seriously, I really don't think that they would be locking their doors. Let's see. Her heart thudded heavily in her breast as she weighed the chances. If she had been alone, she would have been. One, that would have been one thing. But suppose the door was locked? She. Beat the dog to the door, but not to the door, and then back to the car. Not if it came running, not if it charged her as it had done before. And what would Tad do? What if Tad saw his mother being ravaged by a 200-pound mad dog being ripped and bitten, and she said, no, they were safe there. And in her mind, she said, try the engine again. She reached for the ignition, and part of her mind clamored that it would be safer to wait longer until the engine was perfectly cool. Perfectly cool. They had been here three hours or more already. She grasped the key and turned it. The engine cranked briefly once, twice, three times, and then caught with a roar. Oh, thank God. Mommy, are we going? Are we going? We're going. And threw the transmission into reverse. Cujo lunged out of the barn and then just stood there watching. Fuck you, dog, she yelled at it triumphantly. She touched the gas pedal, the Pinto rolled back perhaps two feet and stalled. No! She screamed as the red idiot lights came on again. Oh my goodness gracious sake. Cujo had taken another step, two steps when the engine cut out, but now he only stood there silently, his head down watching me. The thought occurred again. His shadow trailed out behind him as clear as a silhouette cut out of black paper. Donna started fumbling for the ignition switch and turned it from on to start. The motor began to turn over again, but this time it didn't catch. She could hear a harsh panting sound in her own ears and didn't realize for several seconds that she was making the sound herself in some vague way, she had the idea that it might be the dog. She ground the starter, grimacing horribly, swearing at it, oblivious of Tad, using words that she hardly known she knew, and all the time Cujo stood there, trailing his shadow from his heels like some surreal funeral drape, watching, so Cujo ends up going <laughs> to lay down in the driveway, yeah, oh my goodness. From far away, unimportant, what was important what was important now was this goddamn son of a bitch and little car. It was going to start. She was going to make it start by pure force of will. She had no idea how long in real time she sat hunched over the wheel with her hair hanging in her eyes. Punitively grinding the starter. What at last broke through to her was not Ted's cries but they had trailed off to whimpers. But the sound of the engine it would crank briskly for five seconds, then lag off, then crank briskly for another five, then lag off again. A longer leg each time it seemed. She was killing the battery. She stopped. So now it's evening time and this is where Donna remembers that Tad has a Snoopy lunchbox and she's got her own little brown bag of food. Her thermos, of course, had rolled all the way to the back, probably when the car had started to buck and jerk coming up the road. She had a stretch. Okay. So basically, just kind of running through things here. Where, of course, you know, she's just getting the food in her thermos. Let's see. So there's, okay, so they do have, you know, some food and everything like that. And she asked Tad, do you want to eat? And he says that, you know, I want to take a nap. And it's like, well, man, And she kind of realized, because Tad more wants to sleep than anything else. He doesn't, he's not really hungry. And it turns out she says that, um where is it? It was already half an hour past his regular bedtime. Of course, if they'd been home, he would have had a glass of milk and a couple of cookies before brushing his teeth. Yeah, they're, you know, having milk and some of those Newton fig bars. Uh, apparently there's some green oval, green olives that she also brought with her. So, eventually that food is going to run. Because she started eating the fig bars and just noticed just how fucking hungry she is. But it's like, you've got to start that food out and kind of make it last. Because you don't know how the fuck long you're going to be there. She also, along with the olives, brought some cucumbers. This stuff's going to go bad eventually. Donna, at one point, has a dream that Vic comes to her rescue, just dressed in a three-piece suit. It's like, all right, come on, you two, time to go home before the vampires come out. In that dream, also, the mention, like, the mail's coming, and that's what's clicking in her mind. Like, the mail, the mailman, they'll be able to save us. Kind of taking stock of what food they do have because Tad is not a fan of cucumbers. So Donna finishes off those and saying it'll be an odd breakfast for Tad in the morning. You know, fig bars, olives, and a Slim Jim or two. That is a weird breakfast. (laughs) So now Donna's kind of talking about, I guess, how hot it is in the car. Hold on a second. Let me see. It was so hot, too hot to think. Sweat was streaming down her face, and she could see it trickling down Tad's cheeks as well. His hair was plastered against his skull in unlovely chunks, and it looked two shades darker than its usual medium blonde. He needs his hair washed, she thought randomly, and that made her think of the bottle of Johnson's No More Tears again, sitting safely and sanely on the bathroom shelf. Ugh. Waiting for someone to take it down and pour a capsule or two. Let's see. No, of course not. She had no reason to lose control of herself. Everything was going to be all right, wasn't it? Of course it was. The dog wasn't even in sight. Hadn't been for more than an hour. And then she, again, you know, she starts talking about the mailman. And... The mailman would be along soon, and then it wouldn't matter that it was so hot in the car. The greenhouse effect, they called it. She had seen that on an SPCA handout somewhere explaining why you shouldn't shut your dog up in your car for any length of time when it was hot like this. The greenhouse effect. The pamphlet had said that the temperature in a car that was parked in the sun could go as high as 140 degrees Fahrenheit if the windows were rolled up. So it was cruel and dangerous to look up a pet while you did your shopping or went to a movie. Why the fuck? Why in the fuck is that even a thing? You let, take your dog, leave it in the car while you see a movie? The fuck? Ugh. Or even, like, people that would leave their dog in a car while they go go shop- I re- Oh, my gosh. I remember this. I stopped at Meyer, This was, like, probably three or four years ago. I can't remember. But it was a while ago. And I had stopped somewhere... Uh, you know, I admired to pick something up before I left for work. And I remember it was hot out. And this lady and her mom or whoever had come to their car and they're, like, calling their dog. And then all of a sudden, upon discovery, looking in their car and seeing that their dog is, like, gone. I just her... He, he's gone! And just, it almost felt like my stomach just dr- like just dropped down, or my heart just dropped into my stomach. Just that other fear in that person's voice, and I'm just thinking, well, then somebody clearly took that dog out of the car and were thinking that they were rescuing it. Probably were, depending on if, I mean, if the dog was passed out and dehydrated, I don't know. But I'm just thinking of, you know, that time that that had happened. Someone thought upon themselves to take the dog out of a car that probably was, because it was so hot. So, all right. Let's see here. It wouldn't matter that they only had a quarter of a thermos of milk left or that early this morning she had to go to the bathroom and she had used Ted's small thermos or had tried to. Ugh, yeah, and now the Pinto smelled of urine. Oh, good grief. Uh, unpleasant smell. It only seemed to grow stronger with the heat. Oh my gosh. She had capped the thermos and <laughs> thrown it out the window. Uh, oh my goodness gracious. Yes, I can imagine that would be humiliating and demeaning to have to try and pee in a thermos bottle. But, I mean, what else are you going to do, you know? If you got to go, you got to go. And if you can't go outside, where are you going to go? So, I mean, you can think. So, she kind of estimates that they've been in the car now for 15 hours. Ted actually asks, why is it so hot, Mommy? And she says, the greenhouse effect. So, apparently, <laughs> he doesn't question, like, what's the greenhouse effect? He doesn't really question that. By 3.30 that Tuesday afternoon, Donna had given up on the mailman. She sat with one arm lightly around Tad, who was in a dazed half-sleep. His lips cruelly puffed from the heat, his face hectic and flushed. There was a tiny bit of milk left, and soon she would give it to him. During the last three and a half hours since what would have been lunchtime at home... The sun had been monstrous and unremitting. Even with her window and Ted's window open a quarter of the way, the temperature inside must have reached 100 degrees, maybe more. It was the way your car got when you left it in the sun, that was all. Except under normal circumstances, what you did when your car got like that was you unrolled all the windows, pulling the knobs that opened the air ducts and got rolling. Oh. For a short period, she had unrolled the windows all the way, creating a mild draft, but this—but she was afraid to leave them that way. She might doze off. The heat scared her. It scared her for herself and even more for Tad, what it might be taking out of him. But it didn't scare her as badly as the face of the dog, slabbering foam and staring at her with its sullen red eyes. Oh my goodness. And she's just thinking to herself, like, how long, how long before this dog fucking just dies? Again, she's thinking of making a run for the back door of the enclosed camber porch. And she's thinking of Tad, you know, she has to get him out of this. No more fucking around. He wasn't answering very coherently anymore. He seemed to be in touch only with the peaks of reality. The glazed way his eyes rolled toward her when she spoke to him. Like the eyes of a fighter who had been struck and struck and struck. If she had been alone, she would have gone for that door long ago. It was Tad who had held her back because her mind kept circling to the b- back to the thought of the dog pulling her down and Tad in the car alone. So in the book, Donna does manage to kill Kujo with the bat, and Vic actually, when he makes it in, in the book, when he makes it into the Camber's yard and sees Donna, he just can't even believe, like, that he is seeing his wife. And even Donna, when Vic reaches her, she just kind of looks at him almost like a mirage, because I can imagine sitting in a hot car, your mind is playing tricks on you, like, almost like wandering through the, the desert and seeing those mirages, like, things that are there, but they're not actually there, and when you get upon them, you're so close and realize it's there's nothing there. And she's like, Vic? He says, yes, honey, it's me. Where's Tad? the mirage was was real it was really him she wanted to cry but no tears came her eyes only moved in their sockets like overheated ball bearings where's tad donna car car sick hospital she could now barely whisper and even that was failing her soon she would be able to do more than no more than mouth words but what did it matter vic was here and she and tad were saved He left her and went to the car. She stood where he had left, looking fixedly down on the dog's battered body. At the end, it hadn't been so bad, had it? When there was nothing left but survival. When you were right down to the strings and nap and ticking of yourself, you survived or you died, and that seemed perfectly all right. Let's see, okay. It's talking about blood and brains leaking out of Cujo's head. Oh, my God! Vic said, his voice rising thinly in the stillness. "'She looked over and saw him taking something out of the back of her pinto. "'A sack of something. Potatoes? Oranges? What? "'Had she been shopping before all this happened? "'Yes, but she had taken the groceries into the house. "'She and Tad had taken them in. They used his wagon, so what? "'Tad!' she tried to say and ran to him. Vic carried Tad into the thin shade at the side of the house and laid him down.' Tad's face was very white. His hair lay like straw on his fragile skull. His hands lay on the grass, seemingly without enough weight to crush the stems beneath their backs. Vic put his head on Tad's chest. He looked up at Donna. His face was white, but calm enough. How long has he been dead, Donna? Dead? She tried to scream at him. Her mouth moved like the mouth of a figure on a TV set, the volume control of which had been turned all the way down. He's not dead. He wasn't dead when I put him in the hatchback. What are you telling me he's dead? What are you telling me, you bastard? No, this is all in italics. This is what Donna is thinking. Had Ted's life slid away at the same time the dog's life had slid away, it was impossible. No God, no fate could be that monstrously cruel. She ran at her husband and shoved him, Vic expecting anything but that fell over on his butt. She crouched over Tad, she put his hands above his head, she opened his mouth, pinched his nostrils shut, and breathed her voiceless breath into her son's lungs. She breathed for her son, she breathed, she breathed, her son was not dead, she had not gone through all this hell for her son to be dead, and it simply would not be. It would not be. She breathed, she breathed, she breathed for her son. She was still doing it when the ambulance pulled into the driveway twenty minutes later. She would not let Vic near the boy. When he came near, she bared her teeth and growled soundlessly at him. Stunned with grief, nearly to the point of distraction, deeply sure at the final bedrock level of his consciousness that none of this could be happening, He broke into Camber's house by way of the porch door at which Donna had stared so long and hard, the inner door beyond it had not been locked. He used the phone. When he came outside again, Donna was still administering mouth-to-mouth resuscitation to their dead son. He started toward her and then swerved back. He went to the pinto and said, open the back again. He roared out at him like an invisible lion. Had they existed in there Monday afternoon and all day Tuesday and until noon of today? It was impossible to believe they had. Underneath the hatchback's floor, where the spare tire was found, he found an old blanket. He shook it out and put it over Bannerman's mutilated body. Oh my goodness. Ambulance driver and the two orderlies loaded Bannerman's body. Okay. They approached Donna. Donna bared her teeth at them. Her parched lips formed the words, He's alive! Alive! When one of the orderlies tried to pull her gently to her feet and lead her away, she bit him. Later, this orderly would need to go to the hospital himself for anti-rabies treatment. The other orderly came to help. She fought them. She stood. They stood warily away. Vic still sat on the lawn, his chin propping his hands, looking across the road. The rescue unit driver brought a syringe. There was a struggle. The syringe was broken. Ted lay on the grass, still dead. His patch of shade was a little bigger now. Two more police cars arrived. Okay, the other policemen advanced on Donna. There is another struggle. Short and furious, Donna was finally pulled away from her son by four sweating, straining men. Let's see. She screamed soundlessly, whipping her head from side to side. Another syringe was produced if she was injected successfully. All right. Oh, boy. So, Tad was put on a stretcher by the ambulance. A sheet was pulled over his head. So, yeah, if you hadn't guessed already, pretty much Tad dies at the end of the book. And the trivia does say that this is one of the endings that if Stephen King could rewrite, he would, that's why he wanted Tad to live in the book. Or he wanted Tad to live in the movie. Like, if I can't change it in the book, at least let him live in the movie. That's the ambulance, like, they'd even offered to give Vic a shot of something to, you know, kind of calm his nerves. Although Vic already kind of felt, kind of tranquilized himself just with, uh But he did accept the shot. Okay. So Tad, uh, Tad. R.I.P. Tad. Vic goes over the pinto. He had to tug long and hard at Donna's door. The dog had dented it in a way he wouldn't have believed. Her purse was in there, her shirt. The shirt had a jagged tear in it, as if the dog had taken a chomp out of it. There were some empty Slim Jim wrappers on the dashboard and Tad's thermos bottles, smelling of sour milk. Tad's snoopy lunchbox. His heart gave a heavy, horrid wrench at the sight of that. And he wouldn't allow himself to think of what that meant in terms of the future. If there were any future after this terrible hot day, he found one of Tad's sneakers. Tatter, he thought. Tatter. This is all so much for Vic to handle. And he kind of sits down on the inside of the door of the Pinto. And he just, just goes, just... Oh my god, it was horrible. And it occurred to Vic, Counting Tad, Cujo had been responsible for the deaths of at least three people. More than that if the cameras were discovered to be among his victims. And Vic even goes on to blame himself. Like, maybe if I would gotten here earlier, you know, if I hadn't talked to Roger for so long, would Tad still be alive now? I really don't think he would have. And Vic sees a bit of yellow at the very bottom of his field of vision, a bit of paper poking out from under Ted's seat. He pulled it out and saw it was a monster words he'd written to Tad's mind at bedtime. So yeah, here's what happens to Cujo. After a while, a veterinarian came in a panel truck. She looked at the dead dog, then donned long rubber gloves and brought out a circular saw. The cops, realizing what she was going to do, turned away. The vet, you know, that's what they do. They remove the animal's head so they can study the brain and see the effect of the rabies. Later that day, it was forwarded to the state commissioner of animals where the, okay, the brain will be tested for rabies. Okay, so Puja was gone. So, of course, this whole thing, you know, went down, and Charity and Brett, or in Connecticut, or wherever, have no fucking clue what has happened while they've been gone. So, yeah, Donna, Donna, excuse me, Charity learns that Joe is dead, and, of course, her sister Holly thinks, oh, was it a car accident? Charity says, it was the dog, it was Cujo. The dog? At first she was bewildered, unable to see any possible connection between the death of Charity's husband and the Canberra family dog. Then she realized, okay. And Charity says, the boy, Brett. Holly, how am I going to tell Brett that his father is dead? Then the headline, Rabbit Dog Kills Four in Bizarre Three-Day Reign of Terror. The headline on that evening's edition of the Portland Evening Express blared. The subhead read, Lone Survivor at Northern Cumberland Hospital in Guarded Condition. The headline on the following day's press-herald read, Father tells of wife's doomed struggle to save son. That evening, the story had been regulated to the bottom of page one, Mrs. Trenton responding to rabies treatment, doctor says. And in a sidebar, Dog had no shots, local vet. Three days after it had ended, the story was inside on page four. State Health Agency blames rabid fox or raccoon for Dog's Castle Ramp Rampage. All right, let's see. A final story that we carried the news that Victor Trenton had no intention of suing the surviving members. Why the fuck would you? Well, I mean, because they didn't get their dog shots. He had no intention of suing the surviving members of the Canberra family who were said to be in deep shock. A week later, the front page of the Sunday paper carried a story on what had happened. A week after that, a national tabloid offered a fervid synopsis of what had happened, headed tragic battle in Maine as mom battles killer St. Bernard. And that was really the end of the coverage. There was a rabies scare in central Maine that fall. An expert, expert attributed it to rumor and the horrifying but isolated incident in Castle Rock. So we kind of learned the aftermath of uh, what's going on with Donna. Donna Trenton was in the hospital for nearly four weeks. She finished her cycle of treatments for the rabid dog bites with a good deal of pain, but no serious problems. But because of the potential seriousness of the disease and because of her deep mental depression, she was closely watched. Let's see. Vic drove her home. They spent a quiet, showery day around the house. <clears throat> And Donna, of course, you know, asked Vic how, you know, his job is going. And um, I guess Roger got the last serial professor commercial on the rails single-handedly, so took care of that. Okay. Made your new campaign for the whole sharp line. Okay. ay <laughs> ay ay ay. ay. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. That's good. Okay, so clearly I guess eventually they will be dumped by the sharp cereal people. They're just going to, like, once we get this taken care of, we're not going to be using you to be doing our ads anymore. So Donna had bright periods now, periods where she seemed very much like her old self. Oh, she was still listless most of the time. She had lost 20 pounds and looked scrawny. Oh, yeah, her complexion not good, her nails were ragged, all that stuff. Oh, poor girl. So Donna even asked Vic, can we live here? Because, you know, their son, you know, Ted died. How many people would still be able to stay in their house after their child died? And she's asking Vic that. And he says, I don't know. I think we ought to give it a damn good shot, though. Maybe I should ask if you can go on living with me. If you said no, I'd understand. I'd understand perfectly. He says, I don't want anything else but to live with you. I knew that all along, I think. Maybe there was an hour right after I got Kemp's note when I didn't know. But that was the only time, Donna. I love you. I always have. Donna, of course, is having her regrets. She said, I couldn't save him. That's what keeps coming back on me. I can't get rid of it. I go over it again and again and again. If I'd run for the porch sooner, and gotten the baseball bat. And when I finally did get up the guts to go out there, it was just... Over, he was dead. He could have reminded her that she had Tad's welfare in mind above her own the whole time. That the reason she hadn't gone for the door was because of what would have happened to Tad if the dog had gotten to her before she could get inside. He could have told her that the siege had probably weakened the dog as much as it had done herself, and if she had tried Cujo with the bat, baseball bat earlier on, the outcome might not have been or it might have been entirely different. As it was, the dog had almost killed her in the end, but he understood that these points had been brought to her attention again and again, and by herself and by others, and that not all the logic in the world could blunt the pain of coming up, okay, of coming upon that mute pile of coloring books, or seeing the swing empty and motionless at the bottom of its arc in the backyard. Only time could do those things, and time would be an imperfect job. He said, I couldn't save him either. You, I was so sure it was Kemp. I'd, er- I'd gone up there earlier if I hadn't fallen asleep or if I hadn't talked to Roger on the phone. No, she said gently, don't. I have to. I guess you do too. We'll just have to get along. That's what people do, you know. They just get along and try to help each other. I keep feeling him. Sensing him around every corner, yeah, me too. He and Roger had taken all of Ted's toys to the Salvation Army two Saturdays ago. When it was done, they had come back here and had a few beers in front of the ball game, not talking much. And when Roger went home, Vic went upstairs and sat on, in, sat on the bed in Ted's room and wept until it seemed the weeping would pull all his insides apart. He wept and wanted to die, but he hadn't died, and the next day he had gone back to work. Alright. So yeah, they basically just took it one day at a time, dealing with, you know, Tad's death, and just trying their best to support each other after this, you know, enormous loss in their lives. We do kind of see at the end about Brett and Charity and how they're getting along, so Brett came back from the barn, knocked the shoe, snow from his boots, and let himself into the kitchen door. She was sitting at the kitchen table drinking a cup of coffee. For a moment, he only looked at her. He had lost some weight and had grown taller in the last six months. The total effect was to make him look <laughs> gangling, where he had always seemed compacting. Yeah, so, okay, she's just commenting, Charity, on... How, in six months, Brett got a little, you know, older, taller. He looks more leaner and less of a baby face. So, okay. His grades during the first quarter hadn't been so good, and he had been in trouble twice. Scuffles in the schoolyard both times, probably over what had happened this last summer. But his second quarter marks had been a lot better. All right. And he notices something. And he. Yeah, it looks like she got him a puppy. So she said, Elva brought him over. She set the teacup on the saucer carefully and it did not shatter. No law says you have to keep him. Has he had his shots? Brett asked, and her heart broke a little that that should be his first question. As a matter of fact, he has. Elva tried to slip that over on me, but it made him. Okay, show me the vet's bill. $9 it was. Distemper and rabies. Also, there's a tube of cream for ticks and ear mites. If you don't want them, Elva will give me my $9 back. Let's see. All right. So there had been a small life insurance policy. Okay, good. Money, I mean, definitely is more important to them. What happened to that damn lottery money they fucking won? Where did that go? I mean, it's for over $4,200. Where did that go? Okay, hold on. Enbridge, the banker, had explained to her that if the money was put in a special trust account, it plus the lottery money would make nearly all the outstanding mortgage payments over the next five years. Oh, okay. So basically, they use that money to pay on the mortgage so that way they don't got to be worrying about making a house payment for five years. Okay. All right, good, 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 good. She landed a decent job in the packing and building department at Castle Rock's one real industry, Trace Optical. All right, the sale of Joe's equipment, including the new Chainfall, brought in an additional 3,000. All right, so it's possible, you know, they can actually keep the house, that's good. But, oh man, and of course the alternative to that is them, you know, not having the house and then getting an apartment in town. So, Brett was the one that kind of, you know, he wants to keep the home. So, of course, Brett asks his mom, well, what's his name? And Charity says, well, he doesn't have a name. He's just lean. And he, Brett asks, is he a breed? Yes. He's a Heinz 57 variety, so basically a mutt dog. <laughs> okay. All right. So, he brings the dog in because it's snowing now. it's like, yeah, he can come in, but you got to put paper down so that way if he pees, you know, you got to take care of that. And he, she asked Brett, like, what do you want to call him? He says, I don't know. I don't know yet. I'll have to think on it. And, of course, this has got to be hard because, you know, he'd had Cujo for, what, five years or so? And just having, oh, okay, so he calls the dog Willie. Mm, okay. I think Willie, I think Willie Tanner from Elf, Willie Olson from Will House on the Prairie. <laughs> what kind of dog? Is- oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, okay, so it was a small, lively, short-haired dog, mostly terrier. Okay. So, Charity got a small pay raise. She began to put away $10 a week towards Bright's college. Good for her. Good for her. So, Cujo's remains were cremated. Ashes just went out with the trash. All right. Would be... It would perhaps not be amiss to point out that he had always tried to be a good dog. He tried to do all the things his man, his woman, and most of all his boy had asked or expected of him. He would have died for them if they had been required. He had never wanted to kill anybody. He had been struck by something, possibly destiny or fate or only a degenerative nerve disease called rabies. Free Free will was not a factor. The small cave into which Cujo had chased the rabbit was never discovered. Eventually, for whatever vague reason small creatures may have, the bats moved on. The rabbit was unable to get out, and it starved to death in slow, soundless misery. Its bones, so far as I know, still remain there with the bones of small animals unlucky enough to have tumbled into that place before it. Okay, and that, that's basically how the book. That, that's how the book ends. So, wow, and I know I've got I read quite a bit of the ending of the book, just showing you know, how it's different. Basically what you find out once the freeze frame, this is everything that happens after the freeze frame of the movie. Just Donna and Vic trying to, I know I keep slamming my uh, knuckles into the palm of my other hand, sorry. Sorry. Um, just shows them trying to move on, you know, and just support each other after Ted's death. No talk about whether or not they're going to have another baby. I can't see them doing that. And then, of course, Charity and Brett, you know, he's getting another dog. He's moving on. They're able to keep the house. I did say after the review, I was going to do the trivia and goose and stuff, so... Let's, all right, so, five St. Bernard's were used, one mechanical head and a guy in a dog costume. That is the one that slams its head into the driver's side door after the second time the phone rings. And you just, if you, like, put it in slow-mo, you will see, like, that is clearly a man in a dog costume. All right. The dogs featured in the film would have their tails tied down to their legs because the dogs would be enjoying themselves so much they would wake their tails. This tactic was missed once in the editing, where they show Cujo from behind, ready to attack, and his tail is wagging energetically. <laughs> a way to get the St. Bernard's to attack the car, the trainer, the animal trainers had put the dog's favorite toy inside the car. <laughs> wow. So, the foam around the Cujo's mouth was made of a concoction of egg whites and sugar, and the dog <laughs> caused problems on the set because the dogs were constantly licking off the tasty mixture. So another thing, when Stephen King was writing this book, he has now admitted several times that he was so deep in his alcohol addiction at the time that he does not remember writing this book. Danny Pintero, who was only six, he plays Tad, and of course he had not yet learned to read so he would often have to memorize his lines from the script with the help of his mother. Also, how I mentioned that Danny Pintero actually bit D. Wallace's fingers during his seizure scenes. D's reactions in the scene were quite real. Stephen King has stated that he f- feels D. Wallace gives the best performance in this film of or, in this film of any film or TV adaptation of his books, including Kathy Bates. It's Oscar-winning turn in misery. Dee Wallace, who plays Donna, said she has been praised by parents for the scene where historical Donna screams at Tad in a moment of frustrated terror. She said it's a scene in which only a parent could identify. After the film, Dee Wallace went on record saying she hoped she'd never see another Pinto in her life. Stephen King was inspired to write the story when he met his mechanic's intimidating dog while having his motorcycle repaired one day. Stephen King cites this film as having the most effective scare of any of the movies based on his works, referring to the jolting scare where Cujo first leaps at the passenger window of the car. The original novel was a sequel of sorts following The Dead Zone. Since Frank Dodd was killed, he became a kind of boogeyman in Castle Rock and supposedly haunted Tad. It is hinted that Dodd possessed Cujo. Sheriff George Bannerman, played by Sandy Ward here, makes specific references to Dead Zone hero Johnny Smith. Both this movie and The Dead Zone were developed at the same time with this film released two months before by different studios. So the references were removed. I, Like I said, I just feel that it's makes sense not to have them because that would just be confusing as fuck. Just let the dog have rabies and be the, that be the main focal point. Adding a possessed serial killer possessing Cujo's body is just it's fucking stupid. The scenes where Ted and Donna are trapped by Cujo are supposed to be sweltering hot and appear that way in the film. Although the conditions actually very cold, were very cold during filming at one point. It got so cold inside the car that heaters were placed inside to keep the actors warm, but they would have to be turned off for shooting to prevent their sound from interfering. This says that a Rottweiler was used for some of the scenes because they couldn't get the St. Bernard to look mean enough. And the only scene I could even think that that might have been the case was when Cujo was just sitting there and has a close-up shot on... Him growling, that's the scene like right after Donna is comforting Tad, just saying we're going to go in a few minutes, and then it cuts to Cujo just growling. That's the only scene I think maybe that could look like a Rottweiler. Rottweiler maybe? Plus, maybe they had the Rottweiler in a crappy costume, St. Bernard costume. I don't know. So, Caro syrup dyed red was used for fake blood. A number of cards were used for the filming. Each was disassembled for specific camera shots. This is the first film to take place in the fictional town of Castle Rock, which go on to be featured in The Dead Zone, Stand By Me, The Dark Half, and Needful Things. Rob Reiner, who directed Stand By Me and produced Needful Things, also named his production company Castle Rock. St. Bernard, that was featured the most in the film, died of bloat during production. Aww. The exterior of the Trenton house was a facade. Yeah, it was just built for the movie. Ranked number 58 on Bravo's 100 Scariest Movies Countdown. Morning spoilers. In the original Stephen King novel, Tad Trenton dies of dehydration while Donna contracts rabies from her fight with Cujo. There was a rabies scare following the incident not mentioned in the film. The outcome of the sharp account was not mentioned in the book. He had saved it. Stephen King said that if he could go back and change anything from one of his books, it would be Letting Ted Live. This is why he survives in the film. Sheriff Bannerman's death is the reason that Castle Rock has a new sheriff in subsequent films. The new sheriff, Alan Pangborn, appears in The Dark Half, played by Michael Rooker, and Evil Things, played by Ed Harris. Here's some goofs. When Cujo jumps out of the hood of the Pinto the first time, trying to get inside, Donna and To Donna and Tad, the movie cuts to an exterior shot of the car where Donna and Tad are nowhere to be seen through the windshield. When Cujo initially attacks the Pinto, the car's passenger window shatters completely but does not break. The tempered glass in all automobiles' side and rear windows does not have the thin plastic layer in it that keeps it intact when struck as windshields have. And this type of glass will shatter into tiny pieces and disintegrate on impact. This is demonstrated when Mrs. Trenton uses the butt of the sheriff's revolver to shadow the Pinto's glass rear hatch, which is made of the same glass. At the beginning of the movie, Cujo runs after a rabbit and goes into a cave of bats. Cujo sticks his head in the hole, and bats fly around. Watch the top right-hand corner when one bat is flying around just before he gets bitten, and you can see the string that is holding it up. The scene where the dog goes through the window when the phone rings, you can see a visible hand come up and pull on the dog, pull it out of the window. Okay, so like I tend to do sometimes when I review movies on IMDb, I like to read a 10 out of 10 review and like a 1 out of 10 review. So let's see what I can find here. 1 out of 10. Oh, this is from this year, March 31st. The title gave up at the 30-minute mark literally nothing happened. Are you fucking kidding me? You gave up at the 30-minute mark? Oh, my God. So this was by far the slowest movie I've ever watched. By the time I had turned it off, the film had accomplished nothing. The first half hour of this horror film is dedicated entirely to watching the mundane lives of this 80s American family, so I gave up at that point. I actually thought this was going to be one of those movies that get straight to the end of the plot when they showed the dog at rabies in the opening scene before the opening credits even finished. But everything after that happened at a snail's pace. It literally felt like I was watching a laid-back slice-of-life show instead of a horror. Yeah, I wouldn't recommend watching this movie unless if you're the most patient person in the world, I guess. Otherwise, I'd say avoid it. Come the fuck on. Do you know any... Name me one horror movie that jumps right into the action Right from the beginning of the movie. I'm sure there are some out there, but isn't that the whole point of the build up to get to that point? Honestly, going through some of these reviews, a lot of them are saying like nothing really happened until the 45 minute mark, or like, oh, the first half of this movie is boring, but the rest is good. Okay, this one's a 6 out of 10. I like one of the better Stephen King adaptions. This is from 2020 March. Before we had Beethoven, 1992, we had Cujo, and these two St. Bernard dogs could not be more farther apart. With the former, we have a friendly, cuddly, domesticated dog, while the latter is a rabid, barking beast with a snarling snout. Based on, okay, so, yeah, talking about based on uh, the Sleeping King book. Simple enough, the premise, mother-child locked. Inside car, with savage have a jog outside. This is scarier than it sounds, and the performances here are very realistic. There is sheer terror going on inside the yellow 1978 Ford Pinto runabout, which ends up in serious need of a valeting service by the end. <laughs> so definitely, yeah, well-deserved 6 out of 10. All right, that's not a better rating. That's not terrible. And this is the best I can find here as far as, like, t- this is a 9 out of 10, labeling, titling it a classic. For, this is from 2017. As usual, when I re- read a book, I like watching the movie adaption. This one goes back to 83, and it was very scary even without the special effects we get these days. Several things were changed from the book. Also, as usual, other characters are either omitted after a point or dramatically changed. The story is a much more focused on just Donna and Tad and their horrible experience. I definitely gagged quite a few times. What they did to that dog was just gross. The suspense and terror is still all there, though, even without the gore. The degradation of the characters as time passes is very well achieved. The entire cast was good, but Tad and Cujo are the definite stars here. In my opinion, it is a shame the ending was changed so radically, but I suppose this sells better. Cujo is a movie to give you nightmares, guaranteed to give you nightmares even these days. Don't watch it at night. All right, everyone. As I said, I am splitting this up into two parts, probably putting it somewhere around like each part's going to be like three hours or something like that. We'll see. We'll see. So, all right. As I said, I hope you all enjoy this review. And I hope you have a safe Halloween. So basically, yes, I'm going to be putting part one up today for Friday, the 29th, and then part two is going to go up on Sunday. That gives you enough time to, you know, listen to as much, you know, a part one, and then that way you'll be ready for part two. So, all right. Have a great weekend, everybody. Bye-bye.